proclaim that great truth that you are God alone. You always have been. And you are Lord now. You're on your throne in our lives through the good times and bad. You are sovereign. Thank you that you've given us your word, Lord. May we submit to your sovereign word. And may you use it this morning to change us, to make us more like you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who we worship with our whole heart. Amen. My 17-year-old son likes to say he really wishes Jeannie, my wife, had married someone else. (laughs) You see, he loves basketball. And he really wishes she'd married somebody who was taller, more athletic, (laughs) you know, with better basketball genes. But... Unfortunately, he didn't get that choice. (laughs) You see, none of us get to choose the family we're born into, do we? We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. In our human family, we don't get to choose who we have to learn to get along with and love and spend time with. I didn't choose to be born in a small town in Oregon, fourth of six kids with two older sisters and a brother who picked on me incessantly. That's for my sister who's here, by the way. Hi, Chris. (laughs) You see, we don't get to choose that. And we also don't get to choose our Christian family, our spiritual family. God is the one who adopts people into his family. He chooses who he wants to be our brothers and sisters. And our calling is to learn to love those whom He has given us. We don't get to choose who our brothers and sisters are. God has chosen a vast number of people from all nations and all tribes and all kinds of peoples and backgrounds to be in His family. And our job is to learn to love whom He has chosen. Now, we in America think we have choice. And so we choose because we have so many churches, we can If we don't like the people here, we can go to another church. But then we find that they're just people too. With the same issues, same problems, same warts and all. And we find that we have to learn to love them as well. We're called to love one another in the church, wherever God has placed us. But... It's important we think about that. What, what is the church? How do we describe it? How do we explain who we are as a gathering of people, as a gathering of believers? Now, at Cole, we really try to emphasize that we are people. It's not the organization. It's not the building. Out front, we have a sign that says, Cole Community Church meets here. Because the church is not the building, it's not the organization. And yet, I think for many of us, we still fall into that mentality that it's not so much the people, it's an organization. Because think about it, if someone asks you, where do you go to church? You might say, I go to Cole. But what are you thinking of when you say that? The, the Sunday morning gathering? That meeting? The organization of Cole? Or the building? That's where you go? Just think for a minute about what your mentality is about that. 
You see, I think God wants us to understand what the church is. And today we're looking at Romans chapter 16 as we're wrapping up this marvelous book of Romans that is Paul's longest letter in the New Testament. It's his clearest explanation of the gospel. And we have learned marvelous things through this book. And we're entering the last chapter and we'll be covering it over the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> and we'll be looking at some things related to what the church is. In our section today, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 16, Paul gives a long list of names of people that he greets, some 25 names. And I like that. Some people go, what what can you learn from a list of names like that? I think it's marvelous because it's a snapshot of what the church was like. It's like looking, Paul looking at a snapshot of what the church in Rome was like and pointing to all the people and, and saying, greet him, greet her, greet them, greet this family, greet... And it's a picture for us of what the church was like in Rome, which allows us to understand maybe a little bit more what the church is like throughout history, including who we are, so we can learn to love one another better. So we can learn to love that person next to us, or in the next row over, better. So let's look together at what the church is. What is the church in Romans chapter 16 as we look at the snapshot of these names? Let me give a little background before I read it. Paul had never been to Rome, remember? But he longs to go there. And Paul, in his travels over the last 20 or 30 years, as he's traveled throughout the Roman Empire, he has shared Christ. He has established churches. He has met people who were Christians. And many of those people had traveled to Rome. In those days, it was common to say all roads lead to Rome. It was the center of the Roman Empire. So he had met many people out and about in the Roman Empire, but many of them had traveled to Rome. That's why he could list so many people that he knew, even though he had never been there. And he longs to greet them. He longs to be with them. It's a picture of how mobile their society was. Rome created good roads. There was safety, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which meant it was safe to travel. And many of them had ended up in Rome. And so I want to highlight, as we go through these names, I want to highlight four observations about what the church is. But let me just read through it. And as we read through it, just pay attention to the number of individuals and see what, what stands out for you as I read these names. He begins this way, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon or servant of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only do I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my dear friend, Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved 
in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Ansyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Quite a list. Quite a number of greetings. And Paul says, greet, greet, greet. The word greet doesn't mean howdy. It's a little more significant than that. It actually means to embrace. That's the root of it. So he's saying, hey, embrace these people. Let them know how important they are to me. And he mentions all these names and he says, greet, greet, greet. But what strikes me is that in this list, it's a lot of individuals. And that's a great encouragement and reminder to us of what the church is. It's a gathering of people. It's just a bunch of individuals who all are struggling to follow Christ in a messed up world. Each person having their own trials, their own struggles, their own family dysfunction. (laughs) Growing in Christ, but really far from having arrived It's a group of people. Cole Community Church meets here because we meet as a group of people, meeting and growing together. And we don't know all these people's stories, but they all have one. And if you could sit down with each person that's mentioned here and have coffee at the Roman Starbucks or wherever (laughs) and spend a couple hours, you would hear stories of pain and woundedness and struggle, and sin, and failure, and abuse. But you'd also hear marvelous stories of God's tender grace and love and care, of his redeeming hand calling us out of the darkness of this world into light. Because that's the story, that's the journey of every one of us, isn't it? And they were no different. Every one of us is in process. God calls people into his church. He doesn't call perfection. He doesn't call those who have it together. He just calls people. And then he begins to redeem and change and grow us up. Like the bumper sticker that you've all seen, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. It's a good reminder to us that We're called out of darkness, but we're not yet what we shall be someday when we see him face to face. And therefore, we're in this in-between world, which means that we as people are too often selfish, petty, self-centered, mean, and yet at the same time very kind and good and loving and gentle. And You see, we're just a mixture, aren't we? They were the same way. We are each that same way. 
We're just not perfected yet. We're in process. We are just people. The church of God is just people. Why is this so important to see? I think for several reasons. For one, we tend to feel like that if we are struggling, that there must be something wrong with us, that we don't fit in the church of Jesus Christ, that as we look around, we don't seem to see other people who struggle. We, we don't really know their story, but we can't imagine theirs is as bad as ours or as messed up as ours is. And so it's easy for us to feel like we don't fit, we don't belong. But this reminds us that, no, we belong because we're all in the same journey. We all have a similar story. I think it's also important to realize we're just people because sometimes, maybe often, we have unreasonable expectations for the body of Christ. We leave a family maybe that hasn't loved us well and we come in and we think, finally I'm in a place where no one will ever fail me. (laughs) No one will ever hurt me. People are going to love me like I long to be loved. And we come in with these demands and expectations of one another when really we are just people who sometimes get angry and lash out at one another. Sometimes we withdraw. Sometimes we hurt each other. We are just in process and we are learning to love one another. You've heard the saying, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Well, I would say if you find the perfect church, join it because you've already died and you're in heaven anyway. Because there's no perfect church, right? It's it's just people wherever you go. Paul begins this section by talking about Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, a deacon of the church of St. Crea. But notice what he does. He says, I ask you for two things. I ask you to receive her in the Lord, in a way worthy of the saints. And secondly, I ask you to give her any help she may need from you. She's, he gives her a commendation. But he exhorts them to two things, to receive her in a godly way and to help her any way she needs. Now, why did Paul feel like he needed to do that? She was probably the letter carrier, carried the letter of Romans to them. And so he commends her. But, but why did he have to challenge them to receive her? Well, because they probably weren't very good at it. They weren't real loving. In fact, if you think back to the chapters we covered just before this, 14 and 15, Paul's exhorting them, stop judging one another. Stop condemning a weaker brother. Learn to love one another. Accept one another as as God in Christ Jesus has accepted you, he says in chapter 15, verse 7. You see, they were having a hard time being loving and accepting. Imagine that. (laughs) But he challenges them and reminds us that, hey, we need to do the same. You know, one point I want to make is that sometimes we look at the church and we see how messed up it is and we say, wow, you know, I look out at the world and I look at unbelievers and they seem a lot more together than Christians do to me. So why would I want to be involved in the church, you know, or how can this Christianity really be true or whatever? We compare unbelievers to believers because they seem like better people than many of the Christians we know. Well, I like the way C.S. Lewis addresses that. He says this, Take the case of a sour old maid who is a Christian but cantankerous. 
on the other hand, take some pleasant and popular fellow, but who has never been to church. Who knows how much more cantankerous the old maid might be if she were not a Christian? (laughs) Scary thought, isn't it? (laughs) And how much more likable the nice fellow might be if he were a Christian? You can't judge Christianity simply by comparing the product in these two people. You would also need to know what kind of raw material Christ was working with in both cases. And let's be honest. Who does Jesus call into his kingdom? Jesus said, I didn't come as a physician for the healthy. I came for the sick. He calls people like us (laughs) who are in need of redemption, who are struggling, who are messed up. Who are the ones that were attracted to Jesus when he walked on earth? It was the prostitutes, the tax gatherers, the hurting, the broken people of the world. And that's who Jesus loves to begin with as raw material and begin to change and redeem and heal. So let's remember that. That's who we are. We're a lot of broken people that Jesus is at work in healing us. We are a gathering of people. Secondly, I see in this passage another observation is that we the church is a place or a people of diversity. There's incredible diversity in this list as you begin to dig into the details. For one, there's a diversity of race. There's a number of Jews here, Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3, for example. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junius. It says, they were his relatives who were in prison with him. They're outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. If they were in Christ before Paul was, then they had to have been in Jerusalem. They were Jews that were there who heard the gospel even before Paul did and came to Christ. So they were Jews. Verse 11, there's Jews clearly mentioned. Greek Herodian, my relative. He's another Jewish relative. There's a number of Greeks in this list. My dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He was a Greek who was converted to Christ. There's a number of Latin names, Roman names in this list. So there were people from all kinds of racial backgrounds. The church in Rome was a mixture. And they, think about it, they came from different cultures, different traditions, different family backgrounds. And yet they've all come together in this church in Rome. And they are learning to love one another, to get along, to see that those differences weren't the most important thing. In fact, they could overlook those and learn to love one another. These were the kind of people that would have typically avoided one another out in the world, and yet Christ called them into the same family. We're all one family where we're learning to get along and love one another. If you read the list carefully, you also see there was tremendous diversity in social status. There were some that were very wealthy. Phoebe was probably wealthy because she was a benefactor of the church of Sincrea, which meant she provided financial support for it and probably a home for it. There are some that clearly came from very wealthy, important families in Rome. Verse 10 says, Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. We're pretty sure we know who Aristobulus was. He was Herod the Great's grandson. Very powerful political family. He had probably died by this time. But Paul says, Hey, greet the Christians in his household. His family, his servants, his slaves, all those within his family had come to Christ 
God had done a mighty work in them. Same with verse 11, greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. We're pretty sure historically who Narcissus was. He was a rich and powerful friend of the emperor Claudius. He was his personal secretary. And we find out that when Nero, the emperor Nero, came to power, Claudius was poisoned and put to death. Nero came to power and he caused Narcissus to commit suicide. He forced him to. But now we find, even after that, that his household, Paul says, greet, (laughs) greet those of his household who are in the Lord. Again, a powerful family. But as you read on through the list, there's a number of names that are clearly slave names. So in this church in Rome, there was a mixture of very poor slaves, probably freed men who had been slaves but now had been freed, Roman citizens, powerful families, poor families, and they were all learning to love one another together, entering life in Christ together. There's tremendous diversity in this list with gender. Notice how many women are mentioned. Paul mentions in a list of 26 people, approximately 11 women. We're not positive about a couple of the names, but he compliments specifically 12 people, six women and six men. Paul is sometimes seen as someone who wasn't supportive of women in ministry, and yet over and over again in these lists, he says, hey, Phoebe was a deacon. She was a leader in the church in St. Crea. Notice what he says about Andronicus and uh, Junius in verse 7. Junia was probably Andronicus' wife. He says, their relatives who have been in prison with me, they're outstanding among the apostles. This Junia, or Junius, his wife, Andronicus' wife, Paul says is an apostle. Now, they weren't, these two weren't of the first 12, so probably how he's using it here is that they had seen the risen Christ. And they were considered ones sent out by Jesus to share that good news. So here, Paul is exalting the place of women in their ministry. And over and over again, he says in here, greet so-and-so who worked hard. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3. She's given first in this married list, Priscilla and Aquila, The wife is mentioned first, and almost all scholars say it must be because she was more prominent. She was probably the leader. She might have been the main Bible teacher of the couple. She risked her life for him, and everybody's grateful for them. So there was tremendous diversity here we see in the church. John Stott writes this, The prominent place occupied by women in Paul's entourage shows that he was not at all the male chauvinist of popular fantasy, as some like to think. So it's clear that uh, there was diversity in the church there, and Paul's excited about the, the role of women and men working together to serve the Lord. There's diversity here in age. Now, we don't know specifically people's ages, but there were clearly some that had been in Christ for a long time, and he greets households, which means there were probably children involved, and so there's diversity in all different ages. You see, this church in Rome, as you begin to get a glimpse of it, you see, man, there was all kinds of people coming together, learning to love each other, worship the Lord together, spend time together seeking Him. And I think this is just a good challenge for us because in America, again, because we have so many choices, 
it's easy for us to congregate in groups with people that are just like us. But I think that's dangerous. You see, the church was never meant to be like that. The church was meant to be the one place in the world where people of all various backgrounds, all different kinds of uh, perspectives and cultures and traditions and races, etc., could come together, sit down next to each other, and love the Lord and love each other. That's what the church is meant to be. And I think we need to do our best to work at that, to cross barriers, so that the church is what God always meant it to be, the one place in the world where those kind of barriers can be crossed. And so that's why as we look at this list, we see my third observation is that the church is meant to be a place of unity. It's tremendous diversity, but everyone is tied together in the Lord. Ten times in this passage, Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in the Lord. You see, that's what ropes us together. It's like mountain climbers climbing a mountain. They're all roped together because they are tied together. The rope keeps them together. Like in your family. You may not like your family members, but like it or not, they're family. (laughs) And we're called to learn to love one another in the body of Christ because we are all put together. Paul puts it this way in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28, where he says, Starting in verse 26, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Are there differences? Sure, there were Jews and Greeks, there were male and female, there were slave and freedmen. But his point is, those become unimportant when Christ is in you. Those that were just introduced to us that are going to the Philippines, they will have an amazing experience as they have incredible fellowship with people that are so different. Many don't even speak the same language and yet there's a oneness because of the life of Christ in them. I've experienced that in all kinds of cultures in Indonesia and other places, people who love Jesus. You have a oneness with them that's more important than anything else about us. You see, that's what the church is. It's a place of unity. It's a place where we learn to be together. It's a place where we are all saints. That doesn't mean we have it all together, but it means that the life of Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us, and that bonds us together. So that means our task in being together is to learn to die to our demand that people be like us. And we learn to reach across those barriers and experience the unity, the oneness we have in Christ with people who are learning to love Jesus like we are. And finally, fourth observation is that the church is a place to serve Jesus. As I look at this list, what Paul highlights is not how people look. When he talks about his kinsman Eponidas, he doesn't say, yeah, greet Eponidas, you know, kind of the short fat one who, uh, you know, stutters a little bit when he talks or whatever. He, you know what? He doesn't pay any attention to any of those outward kind of things that we tend to look at. All he highlights is that they're in the Lord and he mentions things like, wow, they've worked hard for Jesus. 
They've served the Lord. They've been a fellow worker with me in the ministry. They've walked with me. They've been in prison with me. They've served God. And they, God has blessed them because of that. Isn't that a marvelous thing? That's primarily what the church is, a place where we can learn to serve Jesus. That means it's not primarily a place, and this is a challenge to us in America. I understand this. But the church is not primarily a place where we come to get our needs met. Our needs for fellowship, our needs for worship, etc. The church, the gathering of God's people, is primarily a place where we learn to love others. Where we learn to love others and serve them who are different than us. Where we learn to serve the Lord together to build His kingdom. Do our needs get met in that process? Yes, by God's grace, in His way, in His timing. But it's not primarily a place to get our needs met. It's a place to learn to give myself away as Jesus did. So in Rome... People were learning to let, people, let Jesus change them so they could learn to love others well. They were learning to cross barriers. They were learning to be a family together. That's what the body of Christ is meant to be. And I love this snapshot of what that is like. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's hard. But it's what we are called to as the body of Christ. Just people coming together learning to love each other. Now I want to say something in closing about this summer. Rod a couple weeks ago mentioned to all of you that this summer we're doing something a little different. We're creating an opportunity for the for us to be the body of Christ all together. At Cole, like many churches, we tend, because it's convenient, it's easier, whatever, to separate the church into age groups. So we have our adult meeting here, or adult Sunday school, and the kids' children have their Sunday school, and the youth meets over in the fireside room, and they have their group. But we don't get much opportunity to integrate together, to learn to love one another across those age boundaries. So this summer, we are having a Cole family summer, recognizing that we're all one family in Christ, no matter what age, no matter what our backgrounds, So as elders, we're trying to encourage some integration. So this summer, we are planning on having the first through the fifth graders, our elementary school kids, join us in the service for the first 20 to 30 minutes of worship, body lifetime. They will be with us. They will be worshiping with us, and they'll be part of us. And then they will go back to their classrooms for their teaching. Also, the youth, junior high and high school, will at least part of the summer, off and on, be joining us as well. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to begin to learn to cross those boundaries and learn to love each other of all ages so that we don't stay so separate, so we learn to care for one another. We're just doing it for the summer, partly because for the summer there's more room here because people are traveling on vacation, so we're doing it from June 15th to August 30th. Now, I want to challenge you because this is an incredible opportunity to give those children and those youth a good experience of big church, a chance for them to see what it's like to be in big church so they don't spend all their lives growing up to their adults never having sat in big church. (laughs) 
and all of a sudden they're expected to fit in somehow. This is an opportunity to give them a good experience, a big church, for the summer. So I want to challenge you with some things. First of all, I want to challenge us as adults. We're supposed to be the mature ones, right? So I want to challenge us as adults to welcome them with open arms. Welcome those kids in. Enjoy them. Make them feel invited by you. Secondly, I want to challenge you to value them, to respect them, to talk to them. To res- in the way you respond to them, show them that they're an important part of the body of Christ, just as important as you are. And then third, I want to challenge you to show these children and youth grace, patience, and forbearance when they're antsy and squirrely and irritating. They're just children. And frankly, some of you aren't a whole lot better. (laughs) Had to throw that in. But seriously, it's an opportunity to show patience and to realize they're just kids and that's okay. And we want to encourage them to be part of us. And I want to encourage you too, if parents keep their kids in for the whole service because they want the kids to be part of the teaching as well, please be patient. Please welcome them. Please encourage them to be here and pray that they'd learn to love church and love the Lord and love His Word more and more. We have a marvelous opportunity as adults in this body to give those children and youth a great, a great experience of what big church is like. We have an opportunity to help determine their view of what church will be like, maybe for the rest of their lives. So let me challenge you to love them well, beginning June 15th. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage that shows us that the church is just people that you've called, each with a story, each with our own struggles, and yet we are part of a new family. Help us, Lord, to be people that reach across barriers to love people that are different than us. And this summer, I pray that you would use this summer, this Cole family summer, to help us learn more what it means to be a family together of all different ages, all different backgrounds, all different kinds, as we learn to love one another. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. That words are wonderful of that song we just sang, In Christ There Is No East or West, and it referred to Jesus' final prayer before he was about, as he left his disciples, as he was about to go to the cross. And he says this, My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's how the world knows by how we live out the body of Christ and how we love one another. So go this week and walk in love for one another. God bless.